702. You can call us on 011-883-0702. So you were probably watching the proceedings at the, the Zondo Commission or the uh, State of Capture Inquiry and uh, some explosive stuff being revealed there by a former editor and uh, author of, uh, I think, the book Indentured. Yeah. Uh, talking about the Gupta's involvement in the setting up of ANN7 uh, and so forth. And uh, you would have uh, heard also uh, from the editor there um, who spoke about the involvement of former President uh, Jacob Zuma in that particular, um, the launching and the running of that particular uh, station. And his name is Rajesh Sundaram. And uh, that story has been closely followed by Journalist at ENCA, Aaron Bates, a former colleague of ours here on uh, 702 and Cape Talk. And I'm really looking forward to hear from her as to what are some of the the pertinent issues that were raised. What are some of the salient issues that we need to be thinking about as we hear of uh, these developments? And Aaron Bates joins me now. Aaron, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Much, much appreciated. Good to hear you. Um, it's been a long time. Let me start yeah. off by by asking the question. Rajesh Sundaram. Sundaram. Is it Sundaram? Yes, Sundaram. Yeah, Sundaram. He, 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 was, he was the editor of NN7, right? He was ostensibly, but his gripe is that he claims he was only the editor on paper or that he had a rubber stamp position. And in fact, he didn't have as much control or kind of say as he expected uh, leaving India headhunted to come to South Africa and launch the station. So, so, so give me essentially what Sundaram was saying, um, Aaron, and uh, perhaps we'll uh, be able to pick up some of the more important points out of that conversation. Yeah. Sure. I mean, essentially, in roughly eight hours of evidence, he's spoken about a lot of what's in his book, Indentured, behind the scenes at Gupta TV. And it really tells his story, his version, uncontested at this point, and that's important to emphasize. Uh, he's named about 13 people, including RJ and Artur Gupta, Dizizane Zuma, former President Jacob Zuma, uh, Nazim Hawa, Ashish Chawa, and others. Um, but it tells the story of the debacle of ANN7 and this uh, dream of coming and working in a free South Africa. He claims he'd read about uh, someone who followed the news in India and then coming here and meeting a nightmare, him saying that someone like Atul Gupta was like a dragon on his shoulders. He spoke about three formal meetings he claims he was present at during which President Jacob Zuma at the time spoke on ANN7, gave input on things such as the logo, such as the editorial bent, uh, advocating for a kind of subtle propaganda, and then claims that the former president then did a walkabout the day before the launch of the channel, uh, but was not willing to cut the ribbon and do a sort of, you know, widely publicized first interview on the new channel. Apparently the former president had a code name? He did, and this is so curious because it seems to be a bit of a demotion. We, of course, know that the, the former president was sometimes called number one. Yes. Uh, but uh, Sundaram claims that they were told to keep these three private meetings uh, with uh, the former president, then president, and others, including the likes of Moxeen Williams, who was the new age editor at the time. Uh, they were told not to disclose those meetings with the other staff. They were not to issue any comment about them. And if they wanted to refer to any of Zuma's comments in those meetings... 
they should attribute them to, quote, number nine. Is there any reason why not number one? <laughs> Sorry, Erin. Well, but... he, he claimed that it was uh, told to him that this was a code name given to the former president when he was part of underground guerrilla structures uh, during the struggle. And that's ah. why he says he was told they should use number nine rather than number one. So a bit of an outdated number, um, considering by then uh, Zuma was, of course, head of state. I'd be interested to hear from our listeners if anybody can corroborate that uh, assertion that number nine would have been uh, former President Jacob Zuma's uh, operative name when he was in Operation Vula. I'm told that is uh, the very well-known sort of operation he was head of at some point. So interested to hear from listeners who might be, um, you know, might have line of sight of that discussion. It appears from what uh, uh, Rajesh Sundaram was saying today, Aaron, that there was a a concerted effort to bring about a an alternative voice in South Africa's media space with the launching of ANN7. What was wrong with that? Well, that's an interesting question. I suppose you have to sort of look at traditions around media freedom and media law and then also... It seems as though Sundaram was given the impression that ANN7 was going to be a straight up and down news business. And he says there's nothing wrong with a television station, for example, seeking to make money. Of course, that's part of keeping a business going. Uh, But he had no idea leaving India, leaving New Delhi to come to South Africa, uh, to Midrand, that there would be so much overlap between uh, the politics of the likes of Atul and Ajay Gupta the then head of state, his son, and and the work of the station. And I suppose that's where we start to have potentially quite interesting debates about editorial policy and the lines between people in office whose duties are declared under the Constitution to be upholding that very Constitution and rolling out service delivery and the likes and, you know, following policy through Parliament and that kind of thing, and the work of journalists in the fourth estate. It appears that... We are now in a situation, I mean, the very existence of the uh, Zondo Commission or the State of Capture uh, Inquiry is one that suggests that there has been some sort of state capture, right? Remind us again why ANN7 would have represented that kind of process, Uh, the state capture process, the um, illicit use of... Uh, the amplification of, of 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 narratives in 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 the in the journalistic space. What 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 are why are we frowning at the existence of ANN Seven? Well, I don't know if we can say we are frowning. Of course, people have varied views on sure. ANN Seven and its role as a vehicle of public information and yep. there's always a difference between qualitative and quantitative data. Yep. So in many ways ANN seven can be viewed as a as a vehicle that tells us a lot. Yep. Not only about the politics of people like Atul and Ajay Gupta, but also what the intent of the station was. And we've heard about that from Sundaram as well. Yes. Uh, he himself has spoken about what he claims was a, an agenda to uh, promulgate subtle propaganda. So not for example omitting any comment or reporting on Zuma's rivals within the governing party, uh, but to do so in a way that was sympathetic towards Zuma and his allies within the ANC. Yeah. 
And I think that when it comes to the issue of state capture, perhaps important, of course, to remember that the whole interrogation of whether or not this phenomenon even existed, one that was long denied by the top brass of the ANC, uh, is a question that the Deputy Chief Justice will need to answer in his final report. I mean, I think you'd have to be blind, deaf and dumb not to see profound evidence of it from what we've heard at the commission, but yes. it's up to Zondo to make that call. In terms of ANN 7 itself, however, if you look at Sundaram's submissions, he's spoken about how he claims someone like Atul Gupta, who he claims was this dragon on his shoulder, was so gung-ho about expediting the launch of the station. Why the Gupta brothers, he believes, were so eager to hurriedly launch this channel, which we know launched pretty too much too soon if you yeah. look at some of those early videos with such a disaster um, and he says it was out of sheer greed he says that he understood president jacob zuma at the time had promised uh, the channel government funding through ministries and departments and that the sheer greed on the part of the gupta brothers who had to design zuma on paper, according to CIPC records, as a 21% shareholder, were keen to get going so they could get government money. Uh, so that may tie into answering your question yeah. on how does state capture or the allegations of state capture link up with this TV station? I ask these questions as devil's advocate, Aaron, because sometimes we get lost in the in the in the hot mess of all of these allegations that are coming out from the Zondo Commission and many other sort of sources, and we can't remember clearly what it is that is being investigated here. And I, and I ask that question really from a devil's advocate point of view, uh, not necessarily because I'm not aware of the issues, but the the existence of ANN7 has to be linked to what we could even say is criminal. And uh, I want to go to the issue of the TNA breakfasts. Uh, there has been evidence given by Rajesh in the, the, in the Zondo Commission that even ANC ministers had misgivings about supporting the idea of... What, what, what did he say about that? Yes, so this came up because he had had meetings, uh, for example, those meetings with the former president, uh, the likes of Atul and Ajay Gupta, Ashur Chawa, Mohsin Williams, Nazim Hawa and others. And he spoke about uh, his perception and his understanding of funding going from government to the new age. He cited the Waterkloof scandal, which he says that uh, Zuma and the Gupta brothers would joke about, uh, that it didn't really dent the warm relations between uh, those two groups. And he said that, um, you know, there was a lot of reticence on the part of ANC ministers on being seen next to the Gupta brothers in the wake of that Gupta Gate scandal because the family's name had been tarnished in some ways in the press. That lines up, of course, with evidence we've heard before. We've heard from the likes of Pumla Williams from GCIS, former Mineral Resources Minister Mwako Ramaklodi, saying that when in an ANC-NEC meeting, members of the party confronted Zuma about his friendship and protection of the Guptas. Zuma cited the Guptas' help for him when he was persona non grata. Uh, Ramaklodi also saying that Zuma said uh, that the Gupta brothers had been kind to his sons Edward and Duduzane, and that was the root, claims Ramaklodi, on Zuma's version uh, of, of his uh, sort of loyalty to the Gupta brothers. So that's where the new age came in. It was kind of a tangential point, but 
to him showing how uh, cozy the Guptas and their businesses were in the media space when it came to government funding. And he also mentioned the fact that one of the Gupta brothers was very upset that the IEC had decided not to uh, deploy or you know, sort of assign some of their lucrative budget uh, to advertising in any of the Gupta media entities. What is the commission looking to to find uh, in as far as the evidence given by, by Rajesh Sundaram? W- what are they looking for, do you think? So I can't remember offhand what is under these uh, terms of reference, but at the beginning of today's testimony, we heard from Advocate Tandy Norman, Senior Counsel, who led Sundaram in evidence, and she cited terms 1.3 and 1.6, I think it was, as being the terms of reference to which Sundaram will refer. So anyone who is online and can very uh, industrially, uh, industriously uh, go and check that for, for you will be able to tell you what's under those terms of reference and where it ties in with the agenda and the focus of the Commission. Once again, the former president, Jacob Zuma, has been unequivocally implicated, right? I mean, um, you know, (laughs) what does this mean? When are we going to hear the former president give evidence uh, of the many implications that have been pointed at his direction uh, in this particular uh, commission? Is there any uh, chance of us ever hearing from President Jacob Zuma in this commission? Well, we must remember that it was, of course, then-President Jacob Zuma who signed the commission into action right at the tail end of uh, his second term as president and likely under much duress, um, you know, as he was being sort of weeded out of the party effectively. Um, But he has, I understand from two tweets I've seen from Karen Morn of Times Live and Newsroom Africa uh, late this afternoon into the evening, she's reporting that the commission has, in fact, contacted Zuma's lawyers about a potential date uh, for him to appear, which I believe is in the next two months. Uh, and she cited some response from Zoom as lawyers there. I've sought confirmation from the inquiry spokesperson, which is pending. Uh, but but it does seem that there is eagerness from the commission to hear from the former president, not least because he has been named so many times. He, of course, maintains that he isn't implicated, that people have tried to you know throw the mud of allegations of state capture onto him, but it never sticks because there's no substance to it. Uh, But it is, I think, quite critical to the credibility or not of the commission to hear from the likes of former President Jacob Zuma, his son, Duduzane, you know, former Home Affairs Minister, Maluti Gagaba, and others. uh, And time is running out. The terms of reference uh, of the Commission of Inquiry were largely taken from the findings of former public protector, um, uh, Tulima Tonsela, and they seemed at the time to be limited around the involvement of Guptas in state capture. It appears now that the terms of reference have widened somewhat in that in the last few months, we haven't been hearing much about the Guptas. We have been hearing, of course, about a lot of other state capture incidents, but a, a lot less about the Guptas, and I see that they've made... Uh, a, a return in the conversation about state capture. Is that a correct observation, Erin, that the terms of reference have widened somewhat, uh, f- you know, uh, if compared to the terms of reference that were given by the former public protector? 
Not on paper. I mean, the terms of reference are set out as a document that was published in the Government Gazette at the beginning of 2018, I believe it was. But in terms of perception, yes, I think you have a point there. We must remember that the evidence in May, which was wholly focused on Transnet, the SOC, uh, is quite elaborate and dense, and we haven't got to the end of the line. So if you look at some of the investigative reporting that's been done on allegations of fraud, corruption, money laundering involving these wide-scale, multi-billion rand locomotive contracts at Transnet, there is an ultimate Gupta link. We just haven't reached the end of the line mm. where you see the dots join between the likes of Eric Wood at Regiment, Salim Essa at Trillion, and the Gupta family and their entities. So that's still to come. It may give us the impression that we're not dealing with Gupta-related matters. Yep. In fact, ultimately, we are. I also think that the argument that we've sort of broached the the ends of the scope of the terms of reference, maybe in terms of Bosasa, is a matter of debate in terms of how you interpret mm. those terms of reference. Yeah. Because in some ways, it's a matter of interpretation and a matter of law. Uh, Bosasa, for example, is a company with family members in the Watson family who had, it seems, a very close relationship with a lot of senior members of the ANC. Hmm. So that maybe is a, a matter of debate for sure. you and the 702 listeners going forward into the evening. And we will definitely do that. Aaron Bates, journalist at ENCA, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Much appreciated. Right. So though those are some of the issues we would like to talk about, perhaps, as we continue with the show. Give us a call, 11883-0702. I am still interested to hear your thoughts about the, the relationship our state, our government should be having with SAA, given some of the challenges that they are experiencing at the moment. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about uh, what Outer is suggesting that perhaps there needs to be some sort of a private equity partnership with government as far as SAA is concerned. But I'm interested to find out from you, Should do we need to be owning a state-owned uh, airline? I'm interested to find out. And then, of course, uh, talk to me about your thoughts about what's happening at uh, the Zondo uh, Commission uh, and not necessarily limited to the uh, testimony by Rajesh Sundaram about ANN7. Uh, but about the whole process, where do you think it's leading? Are you feeling like I am that the uh, terms of reference have widened somewhat? I'm interested to hear your thoughts. O double one eight eight three O seven O two.